0: And there's all this mythology associated with art and its production and the creation of it. Things like songwriting come to her. And yet you still have to get in there and like bang it out in a harsh way with your hair pulled back in a scrunchie. And if that is not magic, it's actually just labor.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care.
0: I'm the founder of LadyGossip.com, a talk show host in Canada, and also an entertainment reporter, and currently I am stressing about a thing I have over my eye. It is Oscar week.
2: (laughs) I'm Duanna Taha. I am a television screenwriter and producer, and I can only imagine what the level of freakout is in the film industry in LA five days before the Oscars. Can you imagine the last-minute zits that are being zapped yep. and the spray tans uh-huh. and the whatever else is happening. It's exciting.
0: On today's show, yep, we're talking about her, Miss Americana, Taylor Swift, the Netflix documentaries, uh, and how this film fits into the library of other musician behind-the-scenes documentaries, what we learned, uh, what we observed, and what we were told to observe.
2: And how come musicians are the ones who have those documentaries anyway? Plus, we are going out into the world to interview writer and director Kitty Green, whose latest project, The Assistant, is all about the moments of Me Too, both before
0: and after. Okay, but no, seriously, do you think it's a pimple? It's right on my eyelid. This is Show Your Work.
2: Of entertainment or a new label for a category I've discovered, which is okay. So you know you've been binging your your dramas, right? My East Asian dramas, yes. yes. And I don't know what the structure of them is, but you just go hardcore all the way through
0: until you're done, it's, right? It's episodic. Uh huh. And one complaint I will make about yes. them, especially the Chinese ones, they don't know the meaning of brevity, so they're routinely like. 30 episodes. 40 episodes. The one I'm into right now is 40 fucking episodes. Wait, over
2: seasons or over... No, uh... it's usually just one season. It's one and done. But, but that's not, I mean, that's hilarious, right? One 40-episode season or, uh, you know, six... Uh, I can't do the math on dividing 40 into six, but you get the idea.
0: I, I get it. And yeah. I, I, I haven't binged a
2: show, like, consecutively.
0: Let's say the, what, the Americans would be 60 episodes. Yeah, sure. And I didn't binge The Americans, right? Remember, I watched it over the course of essentially a year. Yes, it's
3: infuriating.
0: But I like to binge my East Asian dramas. Right. And there's no break. Like, especially in, you know, series TV in the Western world, there's a break,
2: like, yeah, well, sort of. And this is kind of what I want to talk about. So my most recent binge... Uh, it's kind of off brand for me, but I'm really into it. Um, I discovered Call the Midwife, uh, yes. which is available on Netflix, and there's so many seasons, which I think lends itself to the binge, right? There's something like uh, 10 episodes, or uh, 10, eight episodes per nine seasons so far. Like there's an embarrassment of riches, right? right? And characters come in and out and whatnot. They have a full efficiency happening. Yeah. Um,
0: we should and- mention that your dog is
2: fascinated by the podcast. We are in a different location today. Yeah. We're at the uh, Podcast your- Annex. Yeah. And yeah, she's very much <laughs> excited by both the company yeah. and the activity. Yeah. So snuffles and nails <laughs> uh, are incorporated. Yeah. Okay. But here's the thing. Call the Midwife is exactly what you think it is, right? It's about like babies being born and the changing face of London in the 50s and 60s and so forth. But one of the actresses uh, who plays Patsy, I was embarrassed to discover, like a little Easter egg, that she is the writer and director of Promising Young Woman, starring Carrie Mulligan.
0: Highly anticipated film that we cannot wait to watch.
2: Right. Yes. So, um, and it's kind of like that thing where, uh, you know, the first time you figure out that Maggie and Jake Gyllenhaal are
3: siblings or, uh, I don't
2: know, like the the thing where the person that was... That That Lenny Kravitz and Nicole Kidman used to be engaged. That, or that like when you see somebody uh, who has the leading role and you're like, oh, actually, like the Jennifer Garner had a bit part on Felicity. Right. What's the word for like a retroactive entertainment easter egg cuz i'm really that's my favorite new thing when you find somebody somewhere that you didn't know you already knew them i think you just got it
0: a retroactive easter egg
2: okay but there. that's so clumsy there's got to be something better
0: um i don't know an og easter egg
2: yeah uh, i like that there that's you good. go okay yeah. so that's your thing but you know what i mean i do when you discover something and you're like ooh i didn't i didn't know yeah and i feel
0: like i did that with
2: Veronica Mars a lot. Oh, yeah. I watched Veronica Mars
0: well past. Right. And then, so to see all these faces popping up. Hilary Swank? No. Uh, but no, Jessica, Jessica Chastain. Chastain. Yeah, yep. Jessica Chastain. And,
2: um... Tessa Thompson. Yeah, and what's his name? And everybody hated Tessa Thompson on Veronica Mars. And uh, what's his name for Breaking Bad? Bryan Cranston. No, the other one. Aaron Paul. Yes. Yeah. Um, is on Veronica Mars. And yeah, yeah. it's... Adam Scott is on Veronica Mars. Yeah. Leighton Meester is on Veronica Mars. It is thick with yeah future O-G names. OG Easter eggs. Yes. There you go. Love
0: it. Nice, nice use of the word.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Hey, you coined it. I will happily
2: try to adopt it into my vocabulary. A- aka steal it. And one more uh, is that I was watching the old Ghostwriter, which I think is not in your wheelhouse. It was a PBS show set in Brooklyn. In the mid-90s, uh, it was to ha- get kids excited and reading, but it was, you know, uh, anyway, you get the idea. Yeah. Um, a dad shows up for, like, a gl- grand total of one scene. Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson.
0: Oh! Didn't know it then. Know it now. Okay. I like it. I'm going to start looking out. And, you know, um, what we're watching currently will
2: become an OG Easter egg in, like, five years. Oh, absolutely. To be able to say, oh, I saw them on the the season 10 of Curb Your Enthusiasm or Fosse Burden, or whatever.
0: Exactly. Whoever you're watching or binging or what show ever you're into right now, some minor person who got a walk-on on on
2: Fleabag in five years is going to have their own series. Right. And actually, I was mentally cycling through shows I'm watching or have been watching. And Darcy Carden of The Good Place, which just wrapped up. Uh, this past week is the perfect example of that. Darcy Carden was on everything and bit parts in everything. And then of course became Janet. Uh, and then will become the thing that even more people know her from. Cause yeah. everybody loves Darcy Carden.
0: Okay. I love it. I'm going to try and identify. That's the new game is to identify who is going to be a future Easter egg.
2: I like that. A I future like future looking back OG Easter, Easter egg. egg. I like yes. placing your bets. Yes, exactly.
0: Um, shall we onto today's schedule?
2: Yeah, today's schedule. Um, I want to call it like it's Young Women in Film Day, kind of.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, and in all kinds of different roles. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Uh, So I guess let's start with the big name. Obviously, Miss Americana was the big kind of entertainment story of the weekend,
0: yeah, it, is, it was the thing that premiered on Netflix that was probably like the most highly trafficked thing on Netflix if they ever released their numbers. So Miss Americana, this is Taylor Swift's docu-film um, documentary about essentially the last couple of years in her life.
2: Yeah, loosely structured around the recording of the new album, the newest album. Right, and coming off of Reputation. Yes. So first impressions, what do you think? I liked it, um, I liked spending time with her, even if I, here's what I, my first impressions were now that I've mumbled through three sentences. I like Taylor Swift a lot more than I like Taylor Swift's music. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I liked getting to know her outside of her songs and the mythology around the songwriting. Yeah. What do you think, first impression?
0: I do like her music. I mean, I like some of her music more than I like others of her music. But you know me,
2: I loved the 1989 album. Yeah, and I can't argue with it. Yeah. It's just that sometimes the the noise to me of the diary and the writing and whatnot gets in the way. You do really like style. Yeah, I love lots of individual tracks. I really do. And... I really enjoyed the songwriting process, which we'll get into. Yeah. It's the, oh, my life that's in the media becomes the fodder for my songs. Sort of narrative that can make me exhausted. Yeah. But this was so not that. Yeah. Which was really refreshing. The second half of the film is stronger. A hundred percent. Right? Yes. And, um, you know, you could say that it deals with a number of sort of not even issues, but moments in her life. But really, there's one sort of storyline that the film is built around, or that's when it really gets the momentum that you're talking about, in the second half.
0: Yeah. The second half, when she starts talking about body image and she starts talking about how um, how she is going to approach her platform and her influence and starting to really, like, actually use her voice. Um Yeah, definitely becomes more interesting
2: and more compelling. To spoil it for the two of you who haven't (laughs) seen it or read the BuzzFeed article, um, it kind of focuses around Taylor finally coming out as supporting a Democratic candidate in the midterm elections in 2018 uh, in Tennessee specifically because that's her home state or I guess adopted home state. Yeah. And uh, because she can't bear the Republican woman who is running, yeah. who she refers to at one point as Trump in a way.
0: Yes. All of that is great. Like the, as Again, as we said, the second half of the film is stronger than the first half. I feel like the first half of the film,
2: for all intents and purposes, we've heard it before. Uh, yes. yes, in terms of, you mean in terms of like, oh, I... The media
0: is mean to me, has mischaracterized me. Um, I'm misunderstood. I
2: will say, and this is just a skill of filmmaking... Um, but it opens with Taylor kind of half nostalgically and half making fun of herself, like showing off her old journals. Yeah. And that context, she says at one point, and this is where I was like, all right, I'm in for this 85 minutes. She says that she used to have a quill pen and Mm -hmm. write with a quill pen. And it seems like she's mocking her, you know, sort of extra teenage self. Yeah. And so, in that context, I minded the, oh, the media makes fun of me less, because it, was, it seemed less like she was feeling sorry for herself yeah. and more like, okay, these are things that happened.
0: Yeah. I, I, I get that. I, I think that, listen, this is not a criticism and it's legitimate, like what she was saying, how she
2: feels she's been mischaracterized.
0: I, I just feel like
2: that is not new territory. No, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's new at all. Yeah. Um, but I don't even know if it was mischaracterized. I think maybe that's what I liked about it, is that all the clips that were included, which, of course, are selected, were so... They didn't really have anything to do with the actual person or woman. Like, one of the things that you get in this doc is, uh, you know, knowing certain things about her. She gets excitable. She... Yeah, uh, is kind of a dork. She, yeah. you know, she likes ice cubes in her wine. Right. Um, that those have no, like the the all the media stories about she's going through med like water. Yeah. Um, don't <laughs> even treat her like a person. Really. Like yeah. it's not like oh she's such a bitch. It's just sort of an external assessment.
0: Well, let's let's zoom out. Speaking of external, let's zoom out because here we are living in a time when. And you know, not now, but like Madonna really started this kind of thing. Um, obviously, with Truth or
2: Dare. Truth or Dare was the quintessential music documentary because it wasn't just a music documentary; it was so much more. That's
0: right. And a lot of a lot of the ones that we see now can be traced back to Truth or Dare in terms of format, in terms of access, in terms of um, how do you say performed authenticity or the line between what you will show and what you won't show and how much authenticity you're presenting out there, knowing that, again, these are people to borrow from Madonna who are turned on all the time when the camera is turned on. Right?
2: Like, yeah. And I would go further and say that that's what they aspire to. Right. Like these are These documentaries are meant to be revealing and show you the other side. And yeah, to yeah. be like Truth or
0: Dare, yeah. to have the layers of the, the colors of right. it is the gold standard. Revealing in quotes. Because as Warren Beatty says to Madonna... She
3: doesn't
0: want to live off here Yeah. Again. What would be the point? Right. So, and exponentially more so, you know, Madonna spawned, if, if you will, was the origin of all of these. These are the descendants of Truth or Dare. Um, even more so this generation when, you know, back in truth or dare times, there were no cell phones, right? Um, there was no Instagram. So already we are dealing with a generation of entertainer that has more often than not, not existed if the camera hasn't been
2: turned on all the time. Yeah. Or the inverse
3: of the way to say that is why make a feature length documentary
2: Mm -hmm. if you're documenting yourself all the time? Right? That's like, right. I don't deeply keep up with Taylor Swift's Instagram these days, but I, there was a time when it was pretty closely, yeah. like, mapping out her every move, Yeah. Right?
0: And so. this, this one belongs to a library now of... Um, Beyonce's done it. Mm-hmm. Katy Perry has done it. I mean, I uh, wash your mouth out for mentioning those two in the same time. I know, but Lady Gaga has done it. Right. Uh, Justin Bieber has done it and is now... You know, on YouTube, launching a series, BTS has done it. So there is a library. This Taylor's belongs to a family sure. of of people of her cohort, uh-huh. um, who are you know doing this documentary style behind the scenes glimpse into my realness. Yes. And so you go into these things with an expectation, an understanding, it's a deal, that there is some level of artifice a little bit. Uh, Yeah. Look, this is a
2: production of 13 Enterprises, or whatever her company is called, right? Yeah. There's a scene early on where they're in the boardroom, and she's sitting at the head of the boardroom, and I know you got a little bit hard watching that. Yeah. Um, But make no mistake, like after the camera's turned off, they're talking about this very documentary. Like, oh, yeah, it's just... A, it is a problem. Yeah. Oh, I got hard, too, in the scene of the plane where the fucking seats are monogrammed. With oh, 30, I didn't
0: even... With 13. I didn't notice. I was thinking
2: about the the stake.
0: I had to do a pause and zoom, uh, or a pause, right. and to look clearly. And yes, the 13 is in the seats of the private plane. So all that all that shit I got hard over. But yeah. So let's, you know, Taylor Swift fans, you know, we're just here to talk real. There is some level of artifice that is an agreement Between the artist who's presenting this film and who they are in this film and the audience. Once you get past that, does this one dig a little deeper than the ones we've seen?
2: Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, it's maybe a different, it's it's slanted is a dirty word, it seems like. But like, yeah, there's obviously going to be a bias, right? Considering who is the producer. Yeah. Does it dig deeper? Um, Yeah, I think it does a good job. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of having something new to say, right? Like, there's there's very little time spent in uh, places that we've been with Taylor. And, yeah. Uh, there's very little time spent with her love life. Mm-hmm. There's very little time spent with, uh, you know, I just felt so sad with the tabloids and the one. I would say the greatest retread of all, and I'm
3: sure that you would agree,
2: is, uh, is the entire fucking chapter in her biography entitled Kanye West.
0: Yeah. Right? Like, that yeah. is stuff
2: we all knew and it had all heard. Yeah. Except that maybe I didn't know. She says at one point that uh, at the MTV Movie Awards, when he took the mic away from her back in the day, Beyonce had the best music video of all time. Yeah. She said that in the confusion, she didn't understand that the people booing were booing him and thought they were booing her. Yeah. And... That did recontextualize it for me a little bit.
0: Shut that was a revelation, or at least a point of view to be considered. Um, for me, though, I think, as we have said a couple of times, it really got going for me when... And we laughed about this on our group thread over um, a photo uh, among our friends. We, uh, we're on a group chat, right? There's five of us on it. And we laughed, I think it was three weeks ago,
2: when we talked about the double finger zoom, right? Of course, of the that moment where you get a photo and yeah. then you're like, "I'm gonna go hyper yeah. forensic right. on this." Our f-
0: Lara, our friend, mm-hmm. um, coined it the double finger zoom, totally. and what that means is that when you do a double finger zoom on something, you are forensic, like you are forensicing something.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I, for me, it was when she allowed the camera to shoot that she is so familiar with this thing that we all do, the double-finger zoom on ourselves mm-hmm. and on, you know, obviously pictures that you're gossiping about with of course. people that you're creeping on Instagram or whatnot.
2: Oh, make no mistake. Like, every <laughs> Tinder match gets sent through to everybody. That's right. And then we go from there. Yes. And so I think that that was
0: one of the moments where I was like, you know what this is a level of candor that i appreciate um to say that yes just like you i will do a double finger zoom on my midsection and i will essentially highlight for myself with the double finger zoom on my phone just like you are doing in your bathroom in bed in the closet wherever
2: on this part of myself that i really hate so here maybe is, and look, in the moment, absolutely I agree with you that I was like, Ey. that everything that happens there, that she was like, yeah, I justified not eating by saying I was yeah. working hard and, yes, I pick out my flaws and this and that. But here's how you know that it is a product that was made um, in collaboration with and not in observation of. my One of my favorite moments in the whole thing is uh, late, late, late in the film, when they are making uh, the video for me, Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a sequence where uh, Taylor comes back to Video Village, where the director is, and she's looking at some of the footage they've been doing, and proceeds to rip herself to shreds. Yeah. With a smile on her face. Yeah. Right? Um, She's saying, in a work mode, quote unquote, like, Oh, I have a resting mean face, and I'm awkward in my body. She uses the word slappable face. That's right. I have a really slappable face. Yeah. I'm awkward in my body. God, I don't know how to move right. Right. And to me, it is the exact same move on two levels. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, it's still picking out every flaw. Yeah. Right? And second of all, the reason we do that, the reason we pick out every flaw and do the double finger zoom... Is because you think, oh, I want to get there before somebody else can, right? Yeah. If I can spot the flaw, if I can say it out loud in the case of Video Village before somebody else spots it, Mm -hmm. then I'm in on the joke. Sure. You know what I mean?
0: Here's what I think the difference between the double finger zoom and that moment is, is the double finger zoom, if, you know, we're all at a place right now where we can admit Are certain behaviors that we do in private with our phone and photos is not only used to scrutinize yourself, but we do the double finger zoom about other people. Sure. Um, And although, of course, it's not explicitly said in that moment, she's double zooming herself, double finger zooming herself. It's starting to sound dirty now, but (laughs) she's double finger zooming herself. What's implied
2: is, oh shit, then who else are you double fingering? Zooming. Yes. I agree with that, um, but I also think, like, we are literally double finger zooming right now, right? We are spending half as long as the entire film talking about this film um, and dissecting it and and investigating. This is kind of part of our culture now. Yeah. And part of the way we consume entertainment. Yeah. Is how And I think it's making us better entertainers. I really do. That's the other side of it. You turn something around and look at it from every angle. Mm -hmm. You look at, like, what's a new take? What's a fresh move? What's a whatever? Um, I think it makes all of us, Taylor included, better entertainers. It makes us produce better content. It makes us think more of what's new. The other side of it is it makes us crazy narcissists and and hypercritical. Um, And my point about those two scenes was that was this a maybe a less uh, a less collaborative film, I think those two scenes would have been back-to-back. Well, Where she says, I don't do it anymore, yeah. and then.
0: I, I agree with you, and I really love how you have characterized it as this is a collaborated-with film as opposed to an, an observed film. Mm-hmm. That is true documentary. If, yeah. if we're going to go real-real, then... A documentarian is there just to observe and is not necessarily working with the subject on the narrative. A lot of people who have been the
2: subjects of documentary say, and I think this may have even come out of cheer, just to make it relevant, but it's not the first time I've heard it, that they don't know what the story is going to be because somebody's just there filming while yeah. they like buy groceries and pay bills and whatever. That's right. That they don't know what the narrative is. Yeah. Um, and I suspect in this case that the narrative was at least, uh, discussed or agreed upon. Yeah.
0: And listen, I've had emails from people saying, I hope you don't say that she was in on it because this would be disrespectful to the documentarian. Um, because she has had like such a great career. Um, Lana, uh, has done documentaries on, um, you know, abortion and reproductive rights and don't disrespect the docu- documentary in this way. But I think we have to establish that when you're dealing with someone as famous as Taylor Swift, and it's coming from her production company, and you have, you have NDAs that people have had signed, and obviously things, everybody who was on camera, everybody, you should know this, who was on camera for this film had to sign a document saying, I agreed. And participate and participate. 100 we dealing when you're dealing with people in this particular world, yes, there were definitely lots of candid moments, and it was as authentic as you can perform for these people, for sure. But this is not
2: like true documentary and stuff. No, but look, like that's a given with anybody that yes. we you have that to we start love. from there. You you make certain agreements, yes. right? It's uh with Harry and Meghan and their interview with dude whose name I always forget, Tom Bradby. Thank you. And uh, even you know we even the the interview with the palace and yeah. and Prince Andrew and Emily Maitland, right? Yeah. Um Yep. Yeah. I was referencing earlier this week. I was referencing still my gold standard for entertainment documentary, which is uh, the Oprah twenty fifth season uh, behind yes. the scenes documentary yeah. about what's happening as they complete those shows. Yeah. Um, everything has to involve a handshake about access, about who our characters yes. are. Absolutely. And, you know, it may be very casual. Hey, can we get your mom and your best friend and your dad? Can they all be in this? Yeah. I mean, yeah, of course, they all want to help, but I just want to be clear. Like you're not gonna Yeah there's not there's you're not gonna be cruel about anything, right? Yeah. Oh no, we're not gonna be cruel. Yeah. And then what that means. Right is up for debate, right? That's right.
0: But, again, like I said, there are moments, especially in the second half, when it really picked up and all the scenes of, of workshopping songs, which we'll get to, that, yes, it does go further than some of the other entries in this library, in this genre. Yeah, for sure.
2: I, I no arguments here and it's an enjoyable piece yeah. of film. Like, it's not, you know, we don't, need always to be in the bathroom with somebody in their most intimate moments yeah it's is it a piece of entertainment that i was happy to consume and
0: it's smart i will say it's smart uh she gave one interview about this film to variety and my favorite quote from it or second favorite but one of the pullout quotes that i wanted to talk about is she said i did this because uh of who netflix is what they serve, mm-hmm. and who the people are who watch Netflix and, and what you do. I mean, you turn it on, your algorithm shoots up something, and you're like, oh, okay, this new thing, I'm going to watch. Um, that is not generally just her fans. And she did it, or she said, this was interesting to me because I know what my fans think of me. I'm kind of going beyond my fans now. I And specifically, she was talking to you. Yes. You know, and... The reaction from people like you to this who weren't necessarily Swifties Uh has been, oh, this is great. I do feel like I know this thing that I know to be Taylor Swift a little bit better. It's very smart. As she's 30 now, this is the new phase of Taylor Swift. Maybe we've gone back, you know, all those songs about the heartbreaking and uh, let me write in my journal and I'll turn it into, that seems to be something she's moving past and She's looking to essentially phase two of the career. It's very
2: smart. I agree it's smart. And, like, nobody argues that she's smart and talented, right? Yeah. Um, because it's... You're right. That there are parts of this that I never thought I would want to say to people in my life who are, do not consume Taylor Swift content. Hey, you should see this. Hey, yeah. you should check this out. Um, and two parts. But... I I really enjoyed watching her in the studio mm-hmm. because I don't think we've seen a lot of it. I think that Taylor Swift is happens to be beautiful, right? Yeah. You see all those all that footage of her at 12 yeah. and 14. You go, "Well, how could they not? Yeah. Of course they were going to put this face yeah. out in front of everything." But half or she would say well more than half of her success is that she's a bang-up songwriter, yeah. right? Is it always my style? Not necessarily. Yeah. But I loved watching what was
3: happening as she cooked in that world. Yeah. Did that resonate for you?
0: 100%. And I also loved it because, and we've talked about it before, art is treated like it is a butterfly that lands somewhere and you have to catch it. And it's magic in the moment that sort of evaporates if you don't get it in that moment. And there's all this mythology associated with art and its production and the creation of it, that I think she dismantles here a little bit. We've like, yes, she's talented. Uh Things like songwriting come to her. And yet you still have to get in there with collaborators or on your own and like bang it out in a harsh way with your hair pulled back in a scrunchie. And you're like, Oh, let me just, Oh, that doesn't work. Oh, I'm going to try it this way. Um, and if that is not magic. It's actually just labor.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I think that's almost what I mean when I talk about talented at this point. Because mm-hmm. we know that, yeah, there are lots of people who have an interesting tone or talent with music or a turn of phrase, right? Yeah. At this point, if we call somebody talented, it's because they've learned to harness their actual, like, work product. Yeah. How to do it right and how to uh, execute and how, when to sort of focus on what, right? Yeah. When to throw things out. Yeah. There's a beautiful moment that is a hybrid of the two things you're talking about. When uh, she says, I'm putting on my party shoes. Yeah. And her producer, sound engineer, says, yeah, we've never gotten a good take without them, huh? Yeah. So that's half and half. Yeah. It's half superstition. Yeah, and it's half. It probably does actually do something to her posture. Taylor yeah. Swift, famously five eleven, it probably does hitch her in a certain way that gets her mm-hmm. for vocals. And I, I, I thought that moment was a nice sort of marrying of them both. Right, I like that too. I also really loved the part where
0: you know she and Brendan Urie are working on me. Yep, and he, oh. and it's very clear, and now like. Up to this point, and I think I've read as much... I mean, listen, the fans, the Taylor Swift fans who have everything memorized and have watched everything on her private channels, because there are clips like this on her private channels, like you have to subscribe or something. Right, for exclusive content. For exclusive content where she's writing the songs. They might know it, but in general, and given that I'm a professional in this area, I do know what there is to know about Taylor Swift. The publicity around the song, Me, Mm -hmm. has been that they co-wrote it together, Mm -hmm. and they put it out together, and that's great. There is no question now, when you watch this documentary, that, yes, he contributed to the song, he has a credit on it, but the song that you hear that was on the radio is 100% she made the decisions. So he goes into the booth, right? Mm -hmm. And he sings his part, and he's like, hey, what'd you think of that? And she's like, well... In this line, uh, can you sing it like this instead? And he does it, and he's like, you're right, that's better. Did you think he did it? Did I think he followed her?
2: Like, followed the instruction? I didn't think he was, like, saying no and fighting her off or anything. But in my mind, in my viewing, and you know I fancy myself a singer. Yeah. In my viewing, I felt like she was trying to tell him to do something that he did not ultimately or could not ultimately do with his voice. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if that was, um, I I wonder whether after all the cameras left the room, whether she said, God, he just couldn't get there. Uh Um, To be really specific, it's uh, it's the line, I know I tend to make it about me. Mm -hmm. And she kept saying, do it like, I know I tend to make it about me, like almost land on me. A little selfishly is yeah. how I would describe it. Right, um, and he was quite pure the whole time when he was singing it. Yeah. like it wasn't growly and and yeah. obnoxious. Yeah, she wanted him to go lower, lower, but also yeah. like snarlier yes. and a bit like uh, yeah, With ugly. Some swagger. Yeah, and yes. he didn't do that. No, um, and so that to me was a moment where I was dying for them to go. And again, this is not that documentary. No, right to go. Did he get it? Like, yeah. was he, you know, this is not the documentary where we hold on people's faces as they react yeah. to things. No. Watching them, you know, seeing in their eyes what's really going on. But she was the CEO
0: in that space. Uh, unquestionably. And he actually then, you know, he he also says, thanks for letting me be a part of this. Absolutely. was very clear that he was invited, that he had this opportunity, and that he knew his place, so to speak.
2: He was a guest star,
0: hundred um, percent. And if it hadn't been him, yeah, it would have been somebody else. That is one of the highlights, or for me, one of my top five highlights of this doc. It's, and I, you know, I wish, I hope people seize on that more to really understand that when she's in that space, she's in full control. She's, she has the confidence of, of her. Oh no, no, I know music. I know what's going to sound good on my song. Uh, can you sing it this way, please? Is essentially what she was
2: saying. A hundred percent. Also, little trivia that I think we've talked about, but maybe not. Um, when, on on any given song, uh, writing credits are given according to how much somebody contributed. Yes. So when you see a list of 10 songwriters, yeah. um, the person at the end yeah. maybe, you know, I don't know, thought of a cute little lick or a bit at the end or whatever. They did a woo. Something. Yeah. Um, and it's worth noting that of the three writers on me, it's Taylor Swift, then Joel Little, mm-hmm. then Brendan Urey, yeah. Um, which again is what you'd expect, but yeah, it's by no means is it written like uh Taylor and yeah, <laughs> Taylor and Brendan, you know, it's yeah. not one of those things where not that we need to debate
0: no, but like yeah no we're not here to say he's not talented he's a you know gifted songwriter in his own right panic at the disco great whatever it's just that these are the moments that i've been aching for from her of how to show leadership in a space like this and it's juxtaposed uh with it's juxtaposed with the early image that we had of taylor swift and she calls herself out for or at least she highlights being the good girl Mm -hmm. And being agreeable. Mm -hmm. Um, And somewhere along the line, behind the scenes, and we're only seeing it realized now, she, over the course of her seven albums in these spaces, has learned how to accept and wear her confidence so that another musician can come in, and a successful one, and she can be like, no, can you do it like this? Right. And that's in...
3: It's
2: hot. It's super hot. Yeah. um, But I love it in a musical capacity, right? Like, nobody can doubt it. And I like that, yeah, Taylor Swift, for what she does and what she makes, um, and she says it early on, like, I know that half the reason I'm successful or more than half is because I write my own shit. She knows how to do what her product is, right? Yeah. Like, I don't think her confidence is ever wavering on that front. That's kind of half the thesis of the film, right? Her her confidence would waver in terms of do people like me, Yeah. but not in terms of can I make this stuff. That's right. What's interesting then is the part of her that's super not ready, um, which is the how else do I use my voice. Mm -hmm. Um, The part that is most like, you know, Taylor Swift essentially stole my own thesis of this film out from under me. I was kind of formulating, uh, as I was watching, I thought it felt like, it feels like somebody who desperately needed to go to university. Uh, Right? Yeah. Who, in the course of a year or two, sitting around with your friends, offering your opinions on everything under the sun, Mm -hmm. kind of begins to form who they are. Yeah. And then late in the game, she says. Yes. uh, There's a
0: thing that they say about famous
2: people. Yeah. That you stay, you stay yeah. frozen at that age where you're yeah. famous, and so watching a twenty eight year old woman like fighting with her dad mm-hmm. about yes, I am too gonna say the political thing. I believe. Yeah, I, I was, I felt like she was a teenager, which is you know that's that thing that's always surrounding yeah. her. Yeah, that youth element. But that to me was where I went, oh, of course, you didn't have this fight around the dining table when you were 16 and 18 and all those other times that people have these fights because you were busy being good and super famous.
0: And negotiating.
2: It was also a negotiation. Absolutely. A negotiation for her own opinions. Yeah. But also for, you know. Yeah. Yeah. uh, On the one hand, for her own opinions. On the other hand, for a company in which i'm sure uh, many people have giant financial stakes. That's right. I really
0: also liked the setting of it. She just got off a plane, she's in sweats, she's sitting it looks like a very a living roomy situation. There mm-hmm. might have been a fireplace, like you know, i, I it was in a home. Um, and she's making this major business negotiation about an Instagram post that she or a message she wants to post mm-hmm. that will for sure possibly affect maybe negatively her career mm-hmm. and the album and the company and all the holdings. Yes. Of- and it's done, and this is multi millions of dollars, right? Absolutely. And it's done in again, like a living room, partly because, yes, her family members work on her career with her, but it goes back to you remember a long time ago now. We were talking about Harvey Weinstein. We were talking about this weird business that we're both in and how the general public was having a little bit of a hard time reconciling where business is done. And in Harvey Weinstein's case, it was in hotels.
2: Why would you go to his hotel room? That's right. And uh, the response being, if you knew how much business goes down in hotel rooms. Yes. If you knew... In yeah, living like, rooms. In living rooms and planes, yeah. right? Like and whatever that there are always people in settings that are necessarily intimate because yes, that's how it works. Yeah. A and because people want to work with people that they know. Yeah, you and I are sitting in my office in yeah. my basement right now. Yeah. right. Like it's it's what we do. It's how we make. That's things. right.
0: It is what makes the entertainment industry a little bit different. Like I don't, you know, I always say the real life application, or we try to talk about things and relate them to any industry, no matter what job you're in. It is the like one of one of the areas where it's hard to have that parallel in other industries and other workplaces because this industry in particular, by virtue of where artists spend time and their schedules. These things happen. These big negotiations about monumental decisions do happen in the most intimate and in the most quote-unquote
2: unprofessional of settings. Absolutely. Uh, and there are, you and I alone could list countless, countless occasions, right, on which things like this happen. But uh, it, it's just because of that's the way it works. Yeah. Um, and then, on the other hand... Uh, You know, as a business decision, you're right that it's odd that it happens in that place. As a coming of age, as a moment when you say, no, dad, I'm my own person and I have opinions and I'm allowed to say them. Yeah. It is utterly and completely normal that that should be happening in a living room space. Right? That you're sitting beside your mom maybe and she kind of is on your side, but she's also, this is not her fight. This is your fight. Right? And that you're starting to take on your dad and everybody else who represents her dad later on um, as your own person and kind of going like, I don't know if I'm right or not, but I have to say what I think. I, as a coming of age moment, if not a coming of age film, I I found that to be quite authentic.
0: And it is coming of age for sure um, in that this is... Again, I go back to the point we had talked about where this is a new era, like a V2.0 of Taylor Swift, of who she's meant to be. Like, if we're talking about, and we both have boners over this kind of thing, if we're talking about her setting milestones and benchmarks or, um, you know, later on, I don't know, in 30 years when someone does a documentary and has a timeline and points to like points on on the on what the grid, I know what you mean. On the timeline, right. yeah. exactly. Like they do this, <laughs> they do this in crime docs, right? Like when they go back and they talk about when certain murders happened or whatnot. But if you do that, with a computer career, animated graphic, that's right. Yes. When you do that, this is intended to be a demarcation, or at least a very clear note to the person who's going to be looking at this in a time capsule. I don't know, a hundred years from now, that this is a declaration of here's my turning point.
2: Yes, my turning point and also um, the other strong part of this doc that I don't have a terribly personal stake in, but that I felt was made very clear, was a stake for women in country music. Mm-hmm. It was amazing to me how often she referenced being a country music performer, being a woman in country music. She used we. We, like, that is, like, we, what we do in country
0: music is we do this, right? And us, like, she was, it was a collective she was speaking from. But she was saying
2: that in the present tense, like, yes. I mean, in the, yeah, exactly. she still yeah. sees herself She still identifies as, as part of that. Yeah. Right. Which I loved. And, you know, it's, it's a real clear line of going, uh, country music has never done this. We don't talk about politics. And then, yeah. uh, the, you know, the cautionary tale of the Dixie Chicks, which we all know, right. Is yeah. they said the thing, they lost their careers. Yes. Don't do that. So I think, yeah, it's meant to be a moment, obviously, for Taylor herself uh, in the, as you say, in sort of the, uh, it's the end of book one, if you yeah. will, in the biography. But also, I think it's a moment in time for self-identified women yeah. country, which I found really interesting.
0: But I want to go back to your point when you raised the quote that comes near the end where she talks about fame and how it freezes you. Yep. Uh, at the point where it arrived, and your analogy that she obviously is, you know, when she says that, what she's trying to say is, I'm not going to let that happen to me, and I have actively been not letting that happen to me, and use the word student. Yeah. And I think throughout, what she's trying to, and the point doesn't quite land, and here's here's where in a different documentary, in a different world, we would be able to see that, I love that. I love that you are calling her a student, that behind the scenes prior to this or Mm -hmm. maybe concurrently with this in times where we weren't allowed to have the cameras turned on. Yeah. She has been studying. You can tell by the language, right, the terminology she uses, um, how almost, you know, when she was talking about Marsha Blackburn, who was running for office in Tennessee... When she talked about, like, I don't even remember it, but the, the, uh, the Equality Act. Right. All of that has been studied. She's read about it. Yep. She is doing that homework. Yes. Chris Lister said something similar um, not too long ago about how she was raised on film sets, right? She was a child actor. Sure, sure. And that, you know, she never went to school. Right. Like long before Kristen Stewart was Kristen Stewart, she yeah, was a working actor. That's right. And she has always talked about feeling like she missed out on school. That like she, she almost wants to go to school. And so her school or her high school or her university environment is to just soak up as much knowledge and information as she can to evolve her own thoughts and identity. Taylor clearly has been doing that. We don't get to see it. And part of it is because, sure, that might not be cinematic. But I just wish I knew what her resources were, who she learned from, who recommended this, who told her to think about it this way. You know, I I,
2: I I wish I had more of that. Yeah, but, you know, I think the reason we don't have more of that is because, to me, that's the problem in the, that is the 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 problem in the Taylor Swift story, or that's the conclusion that the doc leads us to, whether or not they mean to. Because I said, yeah, she seems like a university student, and of course that means studying and learning about new ideas and, and debating being and, to things. Yeah. But it also means being surrounded by a million other people trying to do the same thing, right? And uh, you know, being we often say, oh, a broke student or whatever. Yeah. Um. Not that there are lots of people who are not you know in money trouble when they're a student, but that idea of Sometimes bad things are going to happen. Yeah. Or sometimes one of your friends discovers a path and you realize it's not for you. And to me, that was what was most evident here is that her success and her money, of course, but, you know, that's not really a factor here, but let's not forget and so forth, are going to always make the process of learning, of being a student, artificial, because Mm -hmm. part of being a student is peers, in theory, mm-hmm. right? In in modern era. We're not talking about like being, I don't know, Descartes or someone. Yeah. It's about having peers and about sort of bouncing off of them and not existing in a bubble. So that was the part that made me a little melancholy is that she doesn't have those peers. And she says that, which I loved. To me, one of the best parts in the film is, shouldn't I have somebody to call? Yeah. And yes, I know there's the boyfriend. They made yeah. a great... Uh, work of not talking about him but the point is shouldn't i have many somebodies mm-hmm. any somebodies we don't see her with people and that i think is sort of always going to be a bit of a uh, a bit of a sad story and or a bit of a comparison to madonna to go back to your idea at the beginning right yeah. that it's it's lonely at the top kind of for a reason
0: or we can go in the other direction because at the same time that this came out, Justin Bieber is also rolling out a series of docu style videos on YouTube. And um, I will say that when we're talking about um, intention and like the strategic purpose behind both features or both endeavors, um, for Taylor, we're saying here, like, this is a declaration that I'm 30. This is what you're going to see from now on is I have moved into adulthood. Right. And in preparing myself for adulthood, you don't see it, but I've been studying. I have been a student, to your point. Yeah. I've been, uh, nobody saw me for a year. That's right. Yeah. For Justin Bieber, who is slightly younger, you know, about, I don't know, four years or so younger. Yeah. But still kind of came
2: up and yeah, hit yeah. around the same time. Certainly they're, maybe not the same exact years, yeah. but certainly their ages were similar when they yeah. hit their success, right?
0: And the ambition is, for his docuseries, is to also be like, it's a comeback, it's a this is who I am now. Yeah. So it's a similar sort of theme, mm-hmm. not the same. It, it, it doesn't read the same way, where clearly, even in using the old footage of Taylor and how she used to be and who she is planning to be, um, it is quite clear that, yes, this is someone who has evolved. I don't get the same sense with Justin Bieber. I'm not saying he's still 14. Mm -hmm. Clearly, he's not. He's married. He calls himself a man. But that as sad as it is to say, and this is what we're talking about here, the melancholy that you're talking about and having peers,
2: you don't see the same evolution. No. And maybe that's because, you know, uh, you said, oh, we heard everything about the press hating Taylor. Does everybody hate Taylor Swift? But, and you know, that makes you look at yourself, right? Whether it is, Happening to you in the press, or to extend our metaphor, or whether it's the like I hate so and so letter that goes around in high school, yeah, you have to make some decisions about do I give a shit what these people say? Am I gonna change what they hate, or am I going to start to be me regardless Mm -hmm. of what they think? Yeah, and I don't think he's ever had that same level of forced self reflection. I'm sure he's had bad press, I think he's deserved some of it, right. But there's never been that thing of, I don't want to be who they say I am anymore. Um, It seems. Again, I'm I'm less well-versed in Justin Bieber than I am in Taylor. But I wonder how much can you grow if you don't see that much of a problem with who you were then. Does that make sense? I mean, he has gone there
0: and he's talked about the mistakes he's made and why when you grow up in that kind of spotlight... The stunting that happens, but also how insular it becomes. It's just that here, where we've just spent a little while talking about her team, her parents being part of it, um, and who gets to make cameos in this, and who uh, she goes to. Mm-hmm. Who who do I have to call? Yeah, those same people who occupy ostensibly those positions in his life are present in this but with taylor there's no doubt who's the boss mm-hmm. that she has established as herself
2: to be the ceo not so with justin right and and maybe that's a meta statement right yeah. like it, the story was always that taylor was driving this from 13 years that's old. Right and as much as we know from what was it never say never that he was like also preternaturally talented yeah uh, a kid can't get a lot of places on their own and yeah. so maybe that speaks to that right that yeah. that he's never really driven his own
3: ship
0: yeah and i i want to talk about now i want to relate that to that full library of this kind of work right, right? this kind of um, this kind of messaging that we are seeing these stars give to us As among multiple generations. Madonna, we, we talked about. Yeah. yeah. Um, we talked about Katie, yeah. Perry, Beyonce, Lady Gaga. The women mm-hmm. are the ones who seem to have a grasp of their story. And I know Justin Bieber is the one who is the lone male here. But there's also, I mentioned, BTS also has documentary-style movies like this where, listen, I have lots of respect for BTS, but I'm less convinced that they're in control of their own narrative than I am about Gaga, Madonna, Taylor, Beyonce, and Katy.
2: Well, I'm not interested in BTS in this discussion, not uh, to bring the wrath of them down on us, but because... Um, whatever they have because it's BTS because it's not somebody's own given yes. name everybody yes. else that you mentioned Justin Bieber included is dealing with uh, the personal persona yes and uh, the personal human being sure uh, at the same time BTS is by virtue of having a band name yes they're a unit and yes. they share whatever it is between seven of them that's and right and it's a different conversation yeah but what's funny is that I was about to ask you why um, why musicians are the only ones who have this kind of thing, uh-huh. right? Why haven't we seen this with, uh, God, I don't Jennifer know. Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Harry Russell, whoever. Yeah. But that's the reason why. If that in itself is the reason. Because Beyonce
3: mm-hmm. and Beyonce yeah. are the same person, yeah. right? The person who sits with her
2: children, and the person who performs are meant to be the same person. Yeah. Taylor and Katie and Lady Gaga is kind of an exception, but also kind of not, yeah. right? And the the documentary is kind of always about marrying that public mm-hmm. and private self. Yeah. And going by by extension, actors have it easy because they get to go escape into a role. Yeah. Or many roles. Yeah. So that's essentially what these are about, is carving out those those two parts of yourself.
0: And on a much bigger level, you know, maybe we can close on this as something to think about, Um, what she says, Taylor, about women having to evolve in this industry, being compelled to evolve. And she speaks about it as like a, a shitty thing, like, you know, we're required to keep changing. Yes. We're required to keep keeping you interested. Yeah. Um, we're required to have this new era all the time. And yet I think what's interesting is in all of the evolution and having to stay ahead, um, it may be an advantage in building that strength for like to sound super corny. You know, we just came off of the Super Bowl where we saw two very fierce women dominate and boss that stage. That would be Shakira and Jennifer Lopez. Absolutely. And we just named Madonna, Gaga, Katie, Taylor, yeah. Beyoncé. These are the women in the in the music industry who've had knocks, right? They deal with pressures that the men don't have to deal with. We already know this. I mean we've established this. Our podcast
2: is fucking mostly about that. Yeah, and uh, but to underline it, because it's a good point. Um, Almost all broke through when they were very young. Yes. And almost all have been, yeah, high up and then dragged down. And yeah. then, oh, is she over? And yeah. constantly battling that. Like, you're right. That is almost a a predictable part yes. of the uh, female superstar yeah. in music.
0: And have all built an empire. Yeah. In, in all an different industry, ways. That's yeah. right. In an industry where... They're still fighting for equality. Taylor has made this her mission, right? Take women seriously. Give us, the, give us our masters. Give us more control. And it's, it's so weird that this is staring us in the face, that the big names, the, the empire builders of this industry, look at the women we just named, like six or seven of them, standing on top of the mountain, and yet they're in an industry that has been set up for them
2: to not have control. And they have the most control. Because they have to. Well, every woman you've listed is under 40. And with the exception of Madonna. Yeah. And uh, there aren't as many of these stories told about women who are 50 and 60. We don't have this story about like uh, Chrissy Hines from The Pretenders or Linda Bronstadt or whomever, Stevie Nicks, right? Because it's that, you're right, we're watching history in action essentially those stories weren't told because those women I just named only got so far in that fight. Right. That they, that they changed and evolved and it didn't go, or they didn't own the rights to their own royalties or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so yeah, I think you're right. We're watching a moment where it's like, this is the first generation who are changing the story. Yeah. And from that perspective, I love it. And, I, I I'm and as for entertainment, I love it. But yeah, were there a sequel? You're damn right. I want to see Taylor Swift in Discovery with her lawyer talking about exactly how she's going to take down that filthy DJ, talking about where they're going to put the profits of the most recent album and just owning it exponentially more.
0: And it'd be nice if there was a documentary once the situation is resolved about this master's fight.
2: Absolutely about what she thinks of the the ongoing Grammys president story. Yeah. There's a lot more to be done.
0: Like, Lana's camera may have been turned on selectively, but you can bet that Taylor has a personal camera that's been shooting all kinds of shit that
2: we haven't seen yet. I hope so. I hope she's oh, as fierce a, a documentarian. Self-documentarian as Beyonce.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I have no doubt. So next, we were thrilled to be able to talk to Kitty
2: Green... She is the writer and director of the new movie just came out of Sundance called The Assistant. Yep. It opens this week.
0: This is a fictionalization, but based on reality.
2: Yeah. Um, Based on the stories of assistants who worked for many people, including Harvey Weinstein, but many others in the entertainment industry. Julia Garner uh, stars as Jane, who is having a very long day at her assistant job yeah. in the entertainment industry.
0: Basically, this
2: film is a show your work film.
0: It literally could not be more show your work because it takes place over the course of one day on the job for this assistant and what she does at work. I'm like, And I'm talking from photocopying to stapling to answering the phone.
2: Yeah, it's, it's uh, show the work that you might rather not show. It is not so glamorous in a glamorous industry. Uh, and that's kind of the point. And so we went out into the world. It will sound a little bit different to go and interview the fantastic Kitty Green.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
0: So, Kitty, uh, first of all, congratulations on The Assistant. Great buzz coming out of Sundance. Thank you. People have been talking about this film. Listen, there have been other pieces of entertainment, so Mm. to speak, um, devoted to Me Too. Right now, for example, we are leading into Oscar week and Bombshell Bombshell is one of the contenders, or Mm. at least there are several nominees. And yet your film has a distinctly different approach to me too and this uh, this conversation we're having about consent in the workplace workplace conditions what it's like so can you just take us to how you conceived of the story and why you wanted to tell it this way
1: yeah i mean i started i've been on the in the film industry for 10 years i've been going to, on the film festival circuit, going to film festivals meeting people and i was getting really frustrated because everyone I was getting treated, just the way I'd been treated by my male peers and by male kind of press people who would assume that I wasn't creatively in control of my own work and often ask me like, who gives you your ideas? Is it James or Scott? And they're my two male producers. So the idea that I'm not (laughs) coming up with the ideas really upset me. I would get time and time again, people would be disappointed when they met me as in like, oh, you're. Wait, you're the director? Like, it would be Ugh. disappointing for them that I was a young woman. So all of that was really hurting my self-confidence and kind of getting me down. Um, so I started looking at talking about gendered work environments and power structures. And I almost, I started at colleges because I knew that they were having those conversations, at least. I was, so I was traveling around to, I went to Stanford and Duke and was chatting to students about consent and power um, and sort of, yeah, like their experiences of those issues where they were where they were studying. Um, And I was at Stanford meeting with like a drama troupe who who dealt with those issues in their theater performances when the Weinstein story broke um, and my phone just blew up because all of my friends, I mean, a lot of a few of my friends worked at the Weinstein company. A lot of my friends worked for uh, sort of media moguls or big kind of powerful men who had similar behavior patterns. So we were all talking about what this meant and how this was changing the industry and what was going on. And I started asking questions about their work environments and what it was like for them to be as a lot of more young women mm-hmm. to be like the youngest woman on a desk of someone like that. And what that, how much like having the least power in a very powerful place and what kind of position that put them in. Um, so that was kind of the line of questioning that I began with and I sort of kept branching out. I interviewed women from studios, agencies, uh, production companies. I went from London to Melbourne, to New York, to LA. Um, and then I interviewed women in finance and tech, and they all had similar stories too about gendered work environments. Um, so that's when I sort of committed it to paper, when I heard enough patterns emerged, the same stories were coming up and again and again. Um, so it became, yeah, a script. <laughs> you've, you've used the word work environments. Mm.
0: So what this movie is, is a day in the life of an assistant's... And, uh, well, day in the life of an assistant. And so we, oh, we go right into the work environment. So mm-hmm. I guess let's start with the work environment. You've created it.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the things that I thought people would take away from it, especially people who aren't spending time a lot in the entertainment industry, is you have this glamorous idea of Hollywood. Mm-hmm.
1: And this wasn't a glamorous office. No.
0: <laughs>
1: Intentional? Yes, definitely. I mean, a yes. lot of these companies are very, they kind of keep the budget, they throw all their money into the movies yeah. and not into the like equipment yeah. into the employees. So everything mm-hmm. is, looks a little disheveled. It's gray. Yes.
0: its I know that that must have been your a vision or at least an intentional decision. But I do think that for people who go into this movie thinking or you know, knowing that this is about the film industry,
2: mm. you know, there's
0: lighting, makeup, pretty things, slick things,
2: slick mm. services, but no. No. no, while still keeping the facade. One of the things I loved is that the the film offices are in an undeniably cool part of, uh, you know, is it Tribeca, Soho kind of thing.
1: A little. We shot all over, so it's a bit of a mishmash of
2: places, but it's very New York, basically. It has uh, yeah. the trappings, yeah. right, of, oh, you're so lucky to be working downtown. You're yeah. so lucky to be working in this cool neighborhood, mm. far, of course, from where she lives right Mm -hmm. like that that she could never afford to live in and then yeah that sort of illusion is is echoed elsewhere that the illusion of the cool atmosphere is as you say it's in a pretty kind of shabby office that was put together sometime in the early 90s Mm -hmm. definitely well the stories i heard are very similar and the production
1: companies i've walked into honestly looked a lot like that and i guess we were trying to just I mean, visually, it was sort of like trying to depict what these places are like, which is very oppressive and claustrophobic, and not the
2: happiest places to walk in. That's for sure. Um. One thing that I found interesting, I was talking to somebody about the uh, the entertainment industry recently, and saying that for some reason our industry has not let go of the telephone. With all our technological advances, she's constantly on a landline and explaining <laughs> the phones to somebody else. Um, and I wondered whether, uh, you felt like there was a part of that, whether it had a part in your storytelling. Ooh, I haven't really thought about the landline. I mean,
1: that came from stories I'd heard from a lot of people about Mm -hmm. how they were constantly on the phone. And I mean, a job like that, you're in charge of like looking after the entire family like the wife and the children and the babysitter and all of that stuff is, there's a line to everyone on that phone. So, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah, (laughs) I don't know what else to say, but it's a staple, I think for a lot of those environments but that is interesting considering
0: we are in a digital age and yet that is the one thing that remains firmly old
2: school yeah I mean not to cast you know any any sort of ideas that aren't there but to me I thought well of course because it's one of the few areas that allows no no reproach. You can't really verify somebody's tone after the fact and say they spoke to me like this or they said this. There's not really a record on the phone the way there is an email mm-hmm. or text or so forth. And That's so true. I yeah. wondered whether that was one of the reasons why, why entertainment clings on to the phone. People still love to talk on the phone in this business.
1: Yeah.
0: But it's also, I think that, you know, speaking of the phone, it, it, the film felt a little bit like a, a horror film. Mm. The sense of dread... That starts to creep in because you have this person off camera. We never see the quote Harvey Weinstein character. Mm. But whenever the phone started to ring, it was a cue to the audience that something shitty was going to happen. Yeah. And that I'm sure you worked into the story as like, is that what, what in your experience and in your interviews and the anecdotes you were given,
1: what you were told that the phone ringing meant? something bad was going to happen. Definitely. People were telling me about like uh, workplaces that were so kind of abusive and toxic that they would almost get, as soon as the phone rang, their heart would race, you know, like their blood would start pumping. Yeah. They'd, they'd be terrified as to what what was going to happen now, you know? Um, so I, I heard that again and again. I just heard a woman who said every time she drove her car into the car park and saw her boss's or the parking lot and saw her boss's car, she would, her heart would start pounding. So I think all of these things are like triggering for people. Like these these environments
2: are traumatic, essentially.
1: It's like PTSD symptoms, maybe. (laughs)
2: Totally. Um, Oh, I've definitely felt like some long, uh, long stuck down things sort of rising up, especially when you don't leave, right? Mm. Like there's also that Stockholm syndrome of she arrives Mm. in the dark, she leaves in the dark. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's sort of no escape from it. Mm -hmm. Um, I was so interested in the fact that there were not one, but two uh, male co-workers who are also assistants mm-hmm. uh, or per the credits. They're also assistants. But it's very clear that they have different jobs. Yeah. Right? Than hers.
1: Yeah. I mean, she's been there the least. She's the, the newest. So it could be seen as just simply like she's the new kid so she gets the terrible jobs but I also think that a lot of the tasks she's given are like seen as like women's work you mm-hmm. know this idea of like the kids arrive at the office and she has to look after them or the lunch she has to get the lunch she has to make the coffee she has to do like I was interested in like what we call like a gender division of labor the idea that labor is divided up by gender mm-hmm. so yeah the things like tasks that women were given that men weren't so that was a big focus in like my both my interviews but also in the film like making sure that was clear um, that yeah those boys they're they're, they're not the nicest, I didn't even give them names. In the credits, they're just called Mail Assistant 1 and Mail Assistant 2 because I was mad at them at the time.
0: And yet, at times, they are trying to be helpful. Like, this yeah. is the complicated, layered story that you're telling mm-hmm. where, you know, um, in those moments where she needs to draft an email of apology, which, you know, we'll explore a little bit more in a second, they come over and they give her verbatim the words that she could use. Mm-hmm. And that is seen to them as a helpful gesture. Yeah. Where did that
1: come from? Oh, so many stories of pe- men trying to help uh, yeah. and it being, pure, like, so condescending and patronizing to yeah. us, you know? Like, we know how to write an email. The idea that they're, it's like, but, and also encroaching on her space, they're leaning over her chair, just everything about it is kind of gross, you know? And but not helping before she's in trouble. No, exactly, helping her, like, clean it up or showing her what the rules are. You know, you mess up, this is how we, this is how we deal with it. Um, but, yeah, no, I think... It's funny, there's a lot of stuff. Like, there was a scene where the famous actor Patrick Wilson in an elevator. Yeah, we wanted to talk about yeah. Patrick Wilson, yeah. yes. But he's just standing there in the elevator, but completely oblivious to the fact that she's standing next to yeah. him. And I had a colleague who was a, one of the crew of the film, and so she watched the film, and afterwards she's like, wow, like, that guy in the elevator, she's like, isn't it amazing the way white men take up space? And I was like, that is, like, a great observation. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. it's So it's so kind of
2: it's I don't know it's offensive in a lot of ways to us to just be ignored in those spaces she's almost like furniture yeah in in a lot of those scenes yeah, you know exactly. when she's sort of uh, people pass her in the coffee room and mm-hmm. so forth she is utterly invisible yeah. and almost they're training her to be a bit invisible yeah exactly um I wanted to ask you about what, uh, you know, we talk about a lot of these issues and all these things, as you said, are so common from so many of your friends and so many studios and agencies and millions more stories that none of us have heard. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, uh, for various reasons, but this kind of environment is one of them, leave the business. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what you think about, about Jane. Will she? Do you think she's the kind of person who will go, oh, yeah, it's, uh, it was tough, but it made me? Or that eventually this is going to be one of the stories she tells that says, and that's why I'm not a film producer.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's sort of set pre this kind of meet the meat rise of the Me Too movement mm-hmm. I guess it's not clear when it's set but it feels like it's a little like slightly dated and I guess I would hope that if it was today she would have an avenue or a a space to speak about her concerns speak about the misconduct I think back then people didn't and so I don't know how long she'd survive because I'm not sure how long she'd put up with that She's, she's got a conscious she's a lovely girl and I don't know like I mean not that they're not lovely people that were stuck in those positions but I would hope that you know she'd want better for herself.
2: And yeah, and you hope that there's an avenue out that yeah. is either more supportive or at least less overtly abusive.
1: Yes, completely. And it's t- I get into really confused. It gets really complicated when you start talking about this stuff cuz people like look want to like label certain people victims or victimizers and like look at who's good and who's bad. And like you were saying these situations are so complicated cuz Everyone is sort of stuck in a system that treats this so dehumanizing. You know what I mean? Like there's being kind of abused daily verbally by this boss, by everyone around them. And so it does, it's really kind of, you have to fight tooth and nail to like kind of just survive. And I think that that does, that does affect your behavior and the way you treat others. You can see the way she almost, by the end, is almost telling, yelling at the driver on the phone, and that kind of cycle of behavior repeats itself because you get so used to being treated that way that you end up thinking that's the right way to treat others, which is absurd. So those kind of patterns were important to us when we were
2: making the movie. It definitely seems as though uh, the entire workplace, all of the coworkers that she interacts with, it's not like anybody's is. Covered in joy and glory from the wonderful world of film and entertainment yeah. they're working in,
1: right? Exactly. It's pretty clearly quickly beaten out of them, I think. And yeah, it's sort of crushing a system like that.
0: And the, you know, the harassment and that sort of system that has been closely connected to Harvey Weinstein, that is the most obvious poison and illness mm-hmm. in in the industry or in, at least in workplaces that are set up this way. Mm-hmm. But again, you go through layers of different kinds of inequality.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, and one of those, yeah, is this environment of working in a place where you get used to being yelled at, that you're doing work that isn't yours, that mm-hmm. the fetching and cleaning up is borderline. Is this, at, what am I learning from this? Yeah, And it's happening in an interesting time too, because over the last three months, assistants in Hollywood... There's the headline came out of the New York Times, I don't know if you saw it, a couple months ago, LA assistants are in revolt. Mm. And um, in uh, specifically, there was a story that was cited about getting lunch.
3: Yeah.
0: Um, that assistants were being asked to get lunch, and they were taking special orders, and it, when it went over the production's budget, it was coming out of their own pocketbook. Mm. So you're ta- kind of tackling an entire sort of, system of how assistants are treated. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the Hollywood assistant system will be paying attention to this and should be changing in terms of how desks work and how upward mobility works? Because that for a long time, was the way that a person went from being an assistant to a proper agent.
1: Yeah, it is. it's it is Again, it's complicated because I feel like we should... I mean, you have to work hard to get anywhere in yeah. this business. Yeah, and, and sometimes it's shitty work. Yeah, yes. exactly. It's going to yeah. be... There's going to be annoying, long, boring days. Yeah. And I think we all accept that. But I think there is also just... There is a way that we can do all that, but also treat people with respect and just acknowledge one, or, one another and make sure people aren't being kind of just... Like... I don't know, I feel like a lot of these women are being stripped of their self-worth and self-confidence really quickly, and that makes them leave and leave the industry completely. And if we want to keep women in and get, get women into positions of power, then we need to sort of treat everyone a little better. So those are the sort of conversations I want to have around who has power, how yeah. we can stop it from being abused, how we can share the power and make sure it's used for good. Mm-hmm. And
2: so those dynamics were
1: important to me.
2: And maybe asking the same question a different way. Kitty, one of the things that happens whenever stories like this come up is that people say of any woman or any person who accuses somebody else, why didn't you? Why didn't you say something? Why didn't you tell? Why didn't you whatever? Um, And what would be your response on Jane's behalf? Like, why doesn't she? We see that she tries to. It's so complicated. She is a victim of a gendered and
1: abusive work environment. And she's trying to survive herself. She's really trying to just get, like, make it through the day, you know? And so, yeah, I think it's it's personal and it's different for everyone.
2: You know, we, we saw that moment where uh, at the end of the film, uh, without spoiling, uh, she's she takes an opportunity to go home. Uh, and it's one of those things where you understand that maybe after that long day that we've been talking about, that whatever you have left, you have to keep kind of, I guess, for yourself. Yeah. She's so worn down at that point. So
1: I think she's just trying to, if she's got an opportunity to leave and it means leaving that girl behind in that room, perhaps she'll take it. You know what I mean? At that point, like it's hard to sit there and judge from our living rooms or whatever, yeah. and not. Not being in those shoes, not being completely destroyed by your colleagues and the system that's, that this predator has built around himself to protect himself. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to know what you'd do, but I think if you can escape, you would, you know. And so, yeah, leaving and going home sounds like the best option for her at that time.
2: It made sense to us.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned your experience in the past, going mm. to film festivals, being in the industry, being spoken to patronizingly. Yeah. Probably not being respected. Now that you have this film called The Assistant, mm. screened at Sundance, doing all kinds of press, um, have you seen attitudes towards you change?
1: A little. I still get, I mean, I have a few, I always have a. F- I had a few journalists t- today, I feel bad saying that. I had a few journalists <laughs> who came in it's and they in always it. say, uh, and the, you know, the, the publicist says, oh, you've got 20 minutes. And they say, oh, I don't think we'll need 20 minutes. Cool. And then when they're, Talking to me, they realize, oh no, and it ends up going over the 20. But the idea that they kind of take a look at me and assume they don't, I don't have anything to say or I won't contribute much, or I'm still getting that to this day. So, like, I think it'll continue for a while. I think it's like behave like, like we've, I don't know, it's hard. It's like an unconscious bias. It's like something we don't even know we're doing. Um, But I'm very aware of it because I've been kind of studying it for the past few years. Um, But yeah, it hurts and it, it kind of does affect your self confidence. But I'm a little more having spoken to so many people and done what I've done and, and thrown myself into the deep end here. i am kind of, I'm, I'm a little tougher than I used to be, I guess. So it doesn't hurt me as much as it would used to. Well, in particular too, within the industry,
0: we've heard about directors who have made very buzzy films coming out of Sundance and which ones then get topped by the studios and mm-hmm. thrown like a budget of a hundred million dollars to go make a blockbuster and mm-hmm. which ones are still hustling and still, Fighting to get their next project made. Mm. So, um, how has that been going for you as a female director, as a young voice um, in this industry telling these kinds of stories? Are the studios taking meetings with you? How has it been for you to like create your future opportunities?
1: It's funny, I come at it from a different way than a lot of other filmmakers. Like, I don't, I don't, um, I don't accept, I don't really make my. Sorry, it's the better way to put it is I make my own work. Yeah. I generally come up with my own ideas and, and find an issue or a theme that I'm really interested in and start researching it and then figure out how I'm gonna make a film about it. I'm not someone that sort of waits for the phone to ring. Yeah. And it's like, you know, so that is probably affects my path a little bit and that I I have an agent and I don't, I say that them, only send me stuff that's like really amazing because right. otherwise I'm just going to ignore it. Um, so it is like, I think I'm going to make, keep doing my own thing always. Yeah. So that's, I bet, but I've noticed for my friends who are people that, are like accept more accepting of other scripts and more kind of work with writers and things. They seem to be getting more work. I do think the industry is changing for the better for women. I do think that we're finally recognizing that women have something to say and are, are and can be great directors too. You know, right? I mean, it's just it's happening a little bit. I think the Me Too movement has helped a lot, to be honest.
2: And so part. within that, uh, I you had in your in your press notes a little bit about the reaction that people had when you brought the script when you were uh, looking for financing and sort of uh, yeah. that kind of thing. Can you tell us about some of the reactions from some uh, nameless executives? Yeah, well, this, this particular project was really difficult to finance because it is like
1: shining a light on behaviors that still go on at a lot of these production companies. And I think a lot of the executives who read the script could see themselves in it, and that's terrifying. So we'd have women... Working for these companies, who would be so excited by the script, love it, say yes, we're going to do it, and then we get an email from them the next day saying, "I just can't get my male colleagues to ag- agree with this. I can't even get them to read it." because they, know they what that it's about about my male colleagues? A little bit. I get these secret messages, mm. but yeah, it, it happened a lot. To be honest, it was it was a little terrifying that there was people that were kind of locking like locking us out you know what I mean from getting it made Um, but we we found our funders in the end we found financiers who backed it and we were able to make it we made it very cheaply like we made it in 18 days and there were choices if I had a bigger budget that I would have made but we
2: but we did our best we could and I feel like we we succeeded I'm glad we got to do it our,
1: our own way you know
2: so. And is there any uh, poetic justice? Have you heard from any of those people who passed? Being like, what a brilliant <laughs> film! Congratulations. Uh, not yet. Well, I wait for that day.
1: No,
2: it's um, so important this issue that you're Yeah, in. yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, it's funny. I think often they don't know that their colleagues have ratted them out. So yeah, you never know.
3: Um.
0: And when you're working with, you know, obviously a smaller feature, it's an independent film. Um, how do you then? You know, you have, as you mentioned, Patrick Wilson shows up in a scene. Yeah, Julia Garner. Yeah, is obviously the focus. She's awesome. But you also have something, someone like Matthew McFadden, mm-hmm. who is, you know, on Succession and one of like the. Most beloved and hated characters yeah. on the show. I'm yeah. obsessed with that show, right. so yeah, it's yeah, a cool. big joke for us when we say his name, Tom Wambsgans. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, what's the process like there? Do you feel like you are? Um, it, artists are open, actors are open to like seeing these scripts to use, like to taking these opportunities. I
1: think so I think they, people responded to the script. People really liked the script. The script was very simple, but it was kind
3: of clear on what it was trying to say, and I
1: think people responded to that. And then Matthew and Patrick are examples of good men who were, weren't afraid to, to to be involved in this topic. It is tough.
2: I mean, if anyone has yeah. any
1: skeletons in their closet, I think they'd stay away. Um, but we, we found good people.
2: Of course, you've done a lot of work in sort of documentary. Do you feel as though uh, you're interested in doing that on a continuing basis, making a hybrid of uh, kind of real events or events that are known sort of in society and then doing more scripted work or blending sort of your doc work with it? or no,
1: not I'm really it's not for me about the form it takes it's about like what I'm interested in and the issue and if I can find like I generally start with that what I'm interested in and then I kind of build like the structure and the shape and like whatever it will be will kind of depend on like what's the best way to tell this and with a case like this story, I felt like if I did, was just interviews with people, it would feel like a bunch of women complaining, you know, like, oh, the boys used to make me get the lunches or something. It sound, and like when I would tell those stories, everyone would go, oh, ignore it. You know, don't worry about it. Forget about it. Whereas if you actually see that played out and you can see how much that's affecting her self-confidence task by task, we call it like death by a thousand cuts, like every mm-hmm. single little thing that someone says to her that undermines her and under like devalues her. Really wounds her, and I feel like if you can show that and demonstrate that to an audience in real time, then you can really take people, get people to emotionally understand something that they, they wouldn't necessarily understand if it was just like a recitation of facts, you
2: know, or like
1: these these are the bad things that happened, you know. So instead, it was for us an emotional journey.
2: And yet, you still include that incredible scene with uh, Matthew McFadden, where uh, when she goes to tell him about what's happening. It sounds like uh, a list of complaints or maybe jealousy or mm, so forth. Yeah. Had you heard, uh, had people told you about their their uh, legitimate complaints being sort of reduced to so much uh, whining?
1: Completely. It was very like HR, which is, this. he's playing like the HR representative. Yeah. It exists to protect the company and not to protect the employees. So you find that women would go in, or not just women, anyone goes into that room to try and complain or raise their concerns and it's quickly shot down and it's quickly kind of any holes they can pick in your argument like they will you know they'll find a way to undermine what you're saying it's gas and it really is gaslighting, gaslighting yeah she, he makes her doubt herself her doubt why she came in in the first place and she just leaves completely rattled and completely shaken up and i think yeah that was what i really wanted to get at with that scene was he wasn't being mean he wasn't swearing it was actually kind of more insidious that he was being very calm and rational and clear about what he was presenting, which is the fact that she doesn't have enough information to be in there. She can't, she can't prove anything she's seen. She has worries and concerns, but no proof. But the gut punch too, is that
0: literally 30 seconds after the meeting, everybody knows about it. Yeah, And that is, that I will say rang so true for me. I have heard so many stories of you know, you're supposed to go for workplace safety and respect to HR. That's ostensibly what they're set up to do, mm. and HR is the one that sells you out in the end. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then you feel, who do I have? I'm just like, there's no ally here, mm. and that gives you some sense of why people continue not sharing. Yeah, their yeah. their first and one attempt at sharing resulted in them being fucked over. Mm. Um, the other gut punch for me, there are a couple, but the other gut punch for me is his response to, um, the apology, the second apology email, Mm -hmm. which was to say, um, I just want to make you great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the genesis of stories like that, Mm -hmm. that's sort of. That part of the manipulation.
1: Completely. That one came, like, I actually wrote a draft of the script, and I sent it around, and I had a, a female colleague who read it and said to me, there's too much stick and not enough carrot. And these these oh, men, yeah. they use ways to, like, get you, suck okay. you back in. Like, yeah. sort of. it's very manipulative. But this idea that they're giving you something to cling on yeah. to. And you're going, oh, maybe I am good at this job. Maybe there is a path for me here. Maybe I do belong here. Like, just those tiny, tiny bits of hope. She needs something in that day or else it's just completely crushing. So yeah, having those moments
3: was important. So there
1: was, there, yeah, there's a couple of things. And I think the driver mentions that he heard she's smart. Yes. There's a few kind of, there's a few little, little manipulative yeah. gestures in there from different people, but yeah. There's
0: a parallel there too, with abusive relationships in the domestic world where <laughs> the equivalent to that would be, I just, it's because I love you so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in the workplace, it transforms it transfers to
2: opportunity and potential. Yeah. But there is, there is a parallel. Mm-hmm. And what was clear too, I think, because earlier in the day, he's, you know, he's upset with her and she doesn't get that same response. What's clear is that of course, she's the newest, as you say, but maybe one in a long line of assistance, that this is a very clever man who knows the exact moment when, Oh, if I may have pushed, too far mm-hmm. as you point out in an of yeah. relationship right mm-hmm. now's the time i have to pull it back to give a little carrot yeah or else maybe i maybe you yep. know she goes over the edge yep. or or exactly. etc
1: and he doesn't want to have to train a whole nother person up
2: to do what she does you know yeah. what i mean
1: it's a whole like they, they try and retain people like it's easier to keep what like people that what do you mean the, the devil you know you know yeah and
0: easy
2: to make promises of, oh, you're going to be great. Mm. Whatever form that might take, yep. however long. Exactly.
0: But also the struggle on her face, because you can see, like, having, listen, I think that most of us are people pleasers. Like, no, nobody walks around this world saying, I live to disappoint people. Mm. Most of us are here to, like, get, do a good job and to hear that we've done a good job. So there's that, all of that on her face, but then struggling with, but it shouldn't have to feel this way. Mm-hmm. And yet the apology email to begin with, it seems like it was set up as a thing that you do when you screw up mm-hmm. is you draft this apology. Like it's the immediate reaction that she, oh shit,
1: I screwed up. I'm going to have to write. Where did that come from? Well, I've heard that from a lot of people. They're designed to protect the company because mm-hmm. if she ever tried to quit and say, listen, I saw this and yeah. I saw that, they'd mm-hmm. say, no yeah. way. You admitted in an email that it was your yeah. fault and that you, you didn't.
0: That so were they conditioned, the people you spoke to, conditioned to immediately, their first response was, let me just draft this apology Yeah, I, I heard that that was common as a wow. way to, so, so the
1: people yeah. could, I mean, it gets the boss off the hook because he's like, oh, you've been, admit you're wrong. And yeah, I'm right. Well, I have you know? something on paper. Exactly. And
2: that's what's great about the Greek chorus of those guy assistants. Mm. You know that the first time they told her, you better write him an email right yeah. now. Exactly. Um And the, and sort of the training and the indoctrination continues. Mm -hmm. Yep. That was a new thing for, for me to like, to see, to that, to see that play out. Yeah. Um,
0: uh, I, I mean, it makes total sense that we're talking about it now and it obviously made sense to me in the film, but I don't know that in the, you know, the last few years we've been talking about workplace, toxic workplaces and things that happen, if that minutia has been put out there and yet... That's obviously
2: a tool, a, like a tool to trap you. Mm. I, I, yeah. And I think, too, like everything now, people talk about unanswered texts or emails. I'm sure they languish in the inbox sometimes that mm-hmm. you don't even get the the sort of satisfaction of the way that he writes back because he doesn't yeah. reply to the first or we don't know that he does. So mm. it's not significant we assume. Yeah. Uh that yeah you're putting it out there into the universe without mm-hmm. expecting to get to get that pat on the head back, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of workplaces are organized that way that you're constantly sort of uh apologizing yeah. to the to the throne.
0: But I also think that that's why this that particular detail worked in the structure of your story because this is one day in her life and it's a ninety-minute film, hmm. but it felt like a day. Yeah, Do you know, and that's not a yeah. that is not like a criticism. No, that was it, intentional. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It should feel like she's getting to work. I don't know around four o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. and it should feel like you've been there with her until about ten. Yeah, um, and that these are the small things, the cuts. Yeah. that add up to a huge like wound. And having to send an email saying sorry when you were the one who was screamed at and, you know, obviously disrespected is Mm. one of those things. Yeah. So I think it's really clever the way you set
1: that out. Yeah. I wanted to really put people in her shoes and not let them escape. You know what I mean? Not give them montages and music. Like, you really have to go through her day as she lived it. Yes. mm -hmm. Task by task. And that meant not, like, sensationalizing it, like, not focusing on the tasks that are a little bit more so sorted i get like a little bit more gross or related to his sexual activities yeah. are given as much weight as something like doing the stapling or doing yeah like, making the coffee like to me that was like that's her lived experience like when these women come in there it's just one thing she had to deal with in this crazy day you know
2: and that was had to be clear Um, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about your work, your creative process. Mm. Uh, Specifically, uh, you talked a little bit about maybe initially wanting to make a film like this or exploring this area, but not really having the avenues. Um, What's your advice kind of to writers, to people who want to make something, who have a loose idea of a something? Do you sort of wait for it to come or do you recommend writing a million drafts and figuring it out as you go?
1: gosh I don't know I was the sort of person like I made used to I moved to I found a really interesting subject matter that was like a Ukrainian protest movement and I took my little DSLR and an audio recorder I'm not like the I'm like not unlike the one we're using um to the Ukraine and just started making a documentary and I made a feature-length documentary when I was like 26 and kind of and got it out into the world and I so i really recommend that people just dive in and try it because like you never know what what will come i feel like sitting there at home and drafting and drafting and drafting often doesn't get you anywhere you know whereas a clear idea and a clear intention and like a really strong issue that you want to explore is to me more important than like a polished finished product you know what i mean people can if people can understand like, resonate it resonates with people if people can feel something when they read it or like even if it's not perfect i think that's much better than than
0: Whatever, only like
2: that. Just get right in the action. We yeah, often say definitely. Specificity is universal. Yeah, for sure. Right? The yeah. something that is from your perspective. Yeah.
1: Completely.
0: Is going to
2: have sort of the, the authenticity to resonate with people.
1: Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. Well, congratulations
2: on this film. Thank it's you. really it's really something that stayed with me and uh yeah, easy. I I will be watching it again it's, and oh, and right. well, um, yeah, resonating. Thank you. If there's thank any film that is literally show your work, it be this. So. So yes. Congratulations.
0: Good luck with it. Thank Thanks for so taking much. the time to talk to us. Oh, thank, thank you for, for we with us. We look forward to your rom-com.
3: Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> That's what's next. <laughs> thank
0: you so much. Thanks so much. This movie really stayed with me. Um, it's a 90 minute film. It's not long, but her day feels long intentionally.
2: And you feel as though you know the Geography of the office as well as you know the geography of the office where you had some of these experiences. That's you know right. what I mean? Yeah. That yeah. by the end you're as bored of her desk doodahs as she is. Yeah. Which is kind of the point.
0: And this is really like, a, like this was the effective way to tell this story. To have the quote unquote monster you know, I kept talking about this film like it, it, it felt like a horror movie. Yeah. And you have the, the monster off camera and the dread in hearing his voice. You don't see him. but That almost contributes more to the fear and the horror. But this is the way to tell the story for the filmmaker, um, the storyteller, to build empathy. Um, a lot of people misunderstand the different
3: multiple layers of Me Too.
2: Yeah, it's because they think they don't see it. I kept wondering, there are those two male co-workers in the film. Yeah. And I kept wondering if they would describe themselves as, like, supportive colleagues. If they would think they were allies. Yeah. If they would think that they had seen it. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't see it. And that's what's so great about this film and this performance by yeah. Julia Garner. Yeah. Like, it's really spectacular. It's really, really special. Uh, is that you go oh, I, I see how this is. Mm-hmm. I see where over lots and lots of time, over many, many days like this, where it would cut into your soul yes. and get you to a place where there isn't something left to say or yeah. where it's an understood thing.
0: And I think in this example of Louis C.K. and
2: Great example.
0: Because in the conversations where everything has to be on a spectrum... What people say about Louis C.K. is, well, he didn't rape. You know, he Ugh. didn't touch. And
2: it's not as bad. You've heard it, right? Of course I have. Um, but they're, they're two different but connected conversations. They are. And so our assistant in this film, sure, isn't touched. No, nope.
0: She is not raped. She is not a direct victim. As I don't want to use that word, but she is No, no I can see that you're using finger quotes, yes. but nobody else can. She is not a direct victim of the, the, the crime. However, you still appreciate, because of Kitty Green's story, the cost of what it is to just be in that kind of environment to the point where it wears you down, she's exhausted, she just wants to go home in the end, she hasn't eaten And so then you appreciate when you multiply this over time and people, what that talent
2: cost has been in this industry. I love that point. I love how many people, I love and hate thinking about how many people we might have lost because day after day after year of being told look away, don't worry about it, brush it off. It's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen to you or it wasn't that bad. Think about people who it happened to. How many of those people have we lost who would have been amazing contributors to our business? And that is its own violence. To have
0: ambitions to be in a job, to want to work in a certain industry, to give up that dream because you've been broken down. Sure, we have ways to measure trauma, and immediately we recognize what it would mean to be sexually assaulted, like what that inner wound is. But we haven't started talking about the inner wound that is giving up a life that you imagined for yourself, a dream that you wanted and pursued, because you were just so tired and like worn out from having to work in these conditions that you decided to go back to school or go work in consulting in a completely
2: different industry. And the reason that I'm so glad we're talking about this right now is because this is just one example of how it happens. Uh, people of color who want to be in this business are uh, will tell story after story about getting passed over, not getting hired, not getting that first foot in the door. Women in this business tell story after story of being Belittled, ignored, harassed, men in this business don't tell either of those stories. Mm -hmm. And then we wonder why there are no female directors nominated for an Oscar. So, go see the film. Think about it uh, probably longer than you want to because it will stay with you. Yeah. It's called The Assistant, directed by Kitty Green, starring Julia Garner.
0: Quite a performance. It's a great story. It will make you uncomfortable, but it's necessary. We hope you enjoyed that interview.
2: And uh, if you're keeping track, uh, Julia Garner herself is, of course, an OG Easter egg. Uh Uh, You saw her in The Americans before she was in Ozark, for which she won the Emmy. uh, And I think definitely is going to be one of those people we are going to be talking about a whole lot more.
0: Thank you, Kitty Green, for giving us your time. We really enjoyed talking to you. Good luck with the film. Um, And thank you all for listening, as always, tuning in, sharing your work stories.
2: We are thrilled to hear from you, to get your feedback. And uh, we feel like we know you as you send us your stories. Uh, Please keep it going. And thank you for your enthusiasm for uh, the upcoming uh, Oscar onslaught.
0: Mm -hmm. Our next episode will be from Los Angeles. Uh, We will do our... Writer's Room, so to speak, uh, breakdown, um, and we'll bring you more content from, uh, yeah, the culmination of award season. But until then, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, leave comments and reviews. We really appreciate it. Work hard, show your work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row?